I have a confession that I need to tell you. Um, Are my books still in boxes outside your house? Is that the confession? Hi, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Fundamentalist Podcast. This is the first episode of 2023, so happy new year, if it's not too late to say that. I'm joined today by Dr. Peter Rollins, <laughs> who's currently in Northern Ireland, California. Today, we're going to be discussing the idea of achievement society slash hustle culture, as it might more colloquially be known. Pete, how are you? I am good. And, you know, I was thinking as, as a graduate of Hustle University, I'm really excited about this episode with you. you can... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've been um, getting into Andrew Tate lately. Um, yes, he has a lot yeah. of good ideas. And yes. um, he's just like a cool guy. And yeah, this I like this subject because uh, you didn't go with the one I suggested, which was um, tips for alpha males on how to flirt. So maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, li I did like that suggestion. Uh, so I'll let that ruminate for a week with me here. Any New Year's resolutions, Perfect, yeah. by the way, Bennett, did you? Uh... Yeah, just just not drinking. I'm just uh, taking a, a break from that and then doing uh Getting healthier, I guess. That's about it. Just, uh, you know, living with myself, sitting with myself. How about you? Did you do any New Year's resolutions? Yeah, I want to drink more, exercise less, and spend good, less time good. in self-reflection. So we're kind of like passing what a, each other like ships in the night, but I've got a feeling mine are going to be easier than yours. Yeah, well, you already have such good skills there with not doing things, doing <laughs> yes. bad things more, so it's going to be yes. an old hat for you. Um, I, I do have people years and speaking of building up i have a confession that i need to tell you um are my books still in boxes outside your house is that the confession <laughs> so it's funny you um <laughs> okay so it's funny you say that pete um oh dear god so so here's uh <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. This is terrifying me. Okay. Well, this should, we is, it's terrifying. This? Uh, should we give backgrounds to the um, listener? Yeah. So quick, quick background. Pete um, very generously trusted me to take care of his possession of books, which are multitudinous. Uh, and the boxes were left in my driveway. And I, of course, not being a um, uh, 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 an idiot, I we did we did I did get rid of the bookshelves. So yeah, that's confession number one. Um, oh yes, and I think yeah. I was like, that'll be okay. They went with the the junk pickup, but then um, we organized the garage in such a way that all of your uh, books just got neatly put in one part of the garage, safe away from any elements that could damage <laughs> oh. and what i don't know if you've seen however that there has been Pete, quite a bit of rain here in los angeles i did hear about this i heard that there was rain and i did make a joke to a friend of mine saying about how i could imagine those books were still sitting out in the driveway <laughs> <laughs> but of course just laughing so they were brought into a garage but Oh, Absolutely, they were, and they were neatly stacked in the one 
area of the garage that completely flooded, Pete. It completely flooded. Uh, it poured in in the dead of night. And so there's just a few that got wet. <laughs> <laughs> By a few, how mad? How mad? Oh, Dude. I love the fact you're doing this live, so I can't freak out. Uh-huh. I can't scream and swear <laughs> at you. <laughs> it was either nice this or this text. It was either that. Um, I was like, I'll tell him on the podcast. That way, it's uh, it's a win win for everybody, and it's entertaining this way. No, not all. Not there's not many that are safe. Not all the books are destroyed. There's at least a dozen that are fine. Um, I will say, I as I was going through, and and I was quite upset and quite um, frustrated and felt very bad. Uh, and it feels really good just to get this off of my chest because I've just I haven't been able to sleep for a week. But uh, the uh, the good news is the ones that did get wet all look super boring, so you don't have to think too much to worry about. <laughs> I was like, oh, like, Lacan, this he is, won't need this that. This is uh, to tell the listeners. This is like, is there was there thirty boxes of books? Would there be that of many? The, the, there were probably. Yeah, 15, 20, I would say, 20, maybe. 20, I mean, that's yeah. a fair amount. And how, um, how many But it's I? just the... Well, if you just do the do the math, this is like a carnival game. Uh, if you guess how many books got wet, you can just imagine uh, the x-axis uh, got wet. Yeah. Um, the y-axis of books is doing okay. Uh, and the x-axis was uh, smaller than the y-axis because it was tall. Yes. I haven't, I haven't counted. Uh, them yet and, but i did set them out and try to uh, dry them quite uh a long time and that went about as well as you can imagine uh, <laughs> yeah. so I, i'm sorry i know that i know that for example uh your copy of the voynich uh manuscript the voynich voynich yeah you're uh you're like eight by nine uh copy it was weird it got rained on and it just it it ended up growing to this big size. So you oh, did you get the Voynich manuscript? That's hilarious. Yeah, I was nah. going to make a joke. Yeah, Curtis that. got it for me. Yeah, I mean yeah, it's, Curtis, it's difficult uh, in parts. That's a beautiful copy. Difficult in parts. Let me see it. I know. Isn't it cool? <laughs> That's really cool. For our audio listeners, the Voynich. Yes, no, it is dif- difficult in parts. I would say. Anyway, so this this is super safe. This ended up looking great, and uh, yeah. I'm, I am very genuinely sorry that some of your books uh, did get damaged. But um, I uh, tried to save as many as I could, and I will give you an update when I know how many uh, are oh, yeah. irri- or uh, not worth it. But um, easy it wasn't come, easy many. go. Easy come, easy go. Yeah. In fact, if you didn't tell me, I probably would never notice. Uh, that's what I figured, and 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 that's what I was banking on. But I. Uh, thought it would be more entertaining than anything bad, but I, I'll let you know if there's anything that like has like like your a lot of your books that you wrote got wet, so it's like <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, to be honest, that would be totally fine. Here, what I, yeah. we should do a whole episode on the Voynich manuscript at some point. That would be quite funny. Um, yeah, I'm really confused and fascinated by what it is because I thought it was just I, I I people think it's like a recipe book or something, but like it's like indiscernible and no one knows what it was. It's, yeah, it's a completely indiscernible text. Um, people have tried to crack it. Code breakers have used it. Some people think it's just a fake thing. Some people think it's kind of just a ra- like a madness. And, uh, yeah, so it's a uh, very interesting uh, cool. enigma that every now and again people think they've solved. And then 
often that gets debunked. I, have, I haven't looked at it recently, actually, the last few years, but last I looked into it, there was talk of, of, of them having made progress in understanding it. But um, you probably know more, actually, because you've looked into it recently, obviously, buying that, that nice copy. Well, uh, that was a gift from uh, Curtis at my um, at the uh, wedding. Yeah, he he gave, it, and I was like, "Whoa, cool!" I had no context for it, so mm. I still have. I know, I'm sure less than most people, but I would love to do um, an episode because we we go for clicks. We go for clicks, and the and British manuscript know. that's going to that's going to bring the masses. <laughs> yep, sex sells, baby. Uh, is a sexy topic. Okay. Yeah. So again, apologies. Thank you for understanding. Um, oh, yeah. No problem. And uh, I blame the rain and um, and also myself. So yeah. what <laughs> what do you think about uh, transitioning? Society. What do you? Yes. What's your your take on it? Because you have a writer you want to bring in to talk about. I do. I or do. Writers. So. I, a writer in particular, <laughs> he's become quite a big thing recently. A lot of people have been talking about him for a couple of years. And um, so I finally Jordan read Peterson. some of his stuff. <clears throat> Who was that? Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. That's right. Jordan Peterson. Um, a guy called... Um, Incredible intellect. Yes. Uh, no, Bi Young Chul Han, if I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, kind of, I think, German-born South Korean philosopher. And very interesting guy, uh, written a number of books. As I say, he's become quite a, and like a lot of people are, are reading him. And Can you I'm spell the name for our uh, listeners who might want to, <laughs> as you move on? B. Young Chul. Okay, then never mind. Yes, B. E. I, I wasn't trying to trick you. <laughs> oh, yes, you were trying to trick me. I, I think I could get three B. Young, and that would be about it. B. Young Chul. I can do Han, H-A-N, you know, so... Are you doing a little bit of Wikipedia research right now? Yeah. Um, okay. The first thing I see is Yu Young Chul, who is a South Korean serial killer, sex offender, and self-confessed cannibal. I don't that's think the that's one. who you're talking about. <laughs> that's the, that's okay, the guy. <laughs> Have you not you not come across him? B Young Chul, Han, the Burnout Society. This is like a Joe right, Rogan burn. episode. You're doing the research as we uh, as we talk. Yeah, bring it up, Jim. Oh, I see. B Young Chul. B E E. Y U N G C H U L L, the burnout society. Oh, B Y U N G, excuse me. Uh, no, uh, B Young yep, Chul Han. B Young Chul Han. Cool. Yep, that's the guy. Cool cover to his book, The Burnout Society. Very nice cover. All right, so yes. what's his what's his take? Okay, so he's very interesting, and I will just take up a little bit of what he talks about. But his whole thing is that. And the reason why I wanted to talk about this is, especially, I miss this about LA. Like, if 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 this guy's work re references anything, it's the it's what we see in Los Angeles, but also in social media. He talks about what he calls achievement society or uh, an excess of positivity, where people are self entrepreneurs and they're always being told to self optimize, seize the day. You are be awesome kind of do do what you need to do you know don't don't sit back and and wait for something to happen but you make life happen yourself so all of this stuff that we see in social media but B. Young Chul Han says that this is a, a very modern symptom of kind of modern society is is a say this achievement society and he differentiates differentiates it from 
what Foucault called disciplinary society. So in the past, you had to do things because your boss told you to. You may, you may hate your job, but you have to do it, right? You do your job, you hate your boss, but you know, disciplinary society, if you don't, you're going to get in trouble. You're going to lose your job. If you don't contribute to society, you might get put in prison. And he says there's a phenomenon today where we are our own oppressors. Um, uh, where you work for somewhere like Facebook, you don't just have to do it, you have to like it. You have to wear the t-shirt. You know, there's a, there's a sense in which it's like, you're, there's no place for internal negative, there's no place for negativity, basically. And Bi Young Chul Han, he makes a very good argument for saying like, we see something very unique today. Uh, some very unique symptoms that you didn't see in previous epochs and say feudalism, for example, these are the modern symptoms of fatigue, uh, ADHD. Uh, uh, also, I would say he doesn't mention this explicitly, but a lot of in spectrum stuff, autism, you know, not, not the high level mm -hmm. autism stuff, but low, kind of like low level in the spectrum autism. These are very modern uh, symptoms. And in the burnout society, the book you mentioned there, he kind of argues that this kind of be awesome, achieve everything, uh, you know, pure positivity, pure excess, kind of you can, uh, you can achieve, um, generates profound fatigue, profound burnout in people. And they can't even express why they feel the fatigue, you know, in, in being self-entrepreneurs. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell one of his huh. ideas. Yeah. Do you think this is entrepreneur in any capacity? Like, is this like an entrepreneur who starts a business, uh, a shoe repair business? Or is it is it specifically like the capitalist owner of any business? Or is it the I'm um, branding myself and I am the product? So I think, yeah, I think he's pri he's primarily thinking like the tip of the spear is influencers, right? That, like, I think they're the, or they're the best example of it. So not so much yeah. in a small village where someone's, you know, got their small business and they're, they're, they're doing their shoe business and they go home at night, but more this thing where both in work and in your personal time, it's about life hacking, optimizing your life, about kind of making sure you seize every opportunity, kind of go out there and get, get, get. And, and the influencer is both the one who, who gives this message and the one who suffers most from this message. They're kind of both the plague and the victim at the same time. Nice. Yeah. Um, I'm current, one of my <clears throat> readings. I'm doing a class on technology, <clears throat> the psyche, mm. and this is technology is dream and symptom, and uh, we're going through a lot of the similar type things of the constant uh, outward or horizontal reaching for um, either achievement or things that are information to make you smarter at the expense of like taking time to stop and reflect and like uh, ground yourself in a vertical axis of being rather than just the horizontal axis of being. And it sounds a little similar because it's the, uh, the effect of, uh, you know, effectively you lose yourself by selling it constantly. Yes. Yes. Oh yeah. Like by, by that constant um, selling of yourself, uh, there's, and the problem is, it's funny because I, I know some people obviously on Instagram who, who kind of like propagate this message, um, and they're good people, people I like, whatever, I don't know them that well, but, uh, but there's something so exhausting about, well, both even looking at the content, 
But if you try to do it, you you both one is you kind of feel you're never going to live up to it. But if you did, yeah. you'd actually be exhausted, absolutely exhausted. Whereas in in one in one sense, Han is is kind of in advocating what a lot of poets and a lot of people like um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, oh, what's that poet called? Oh, he'll come back to me. Um, but you Rumi. Know, no, <laughs> um, thinking of that guy. Oh. He's very good. Anyway, Seuss, um, Dr. Seuss, Dr. Seuss. That's the one. But who advocate for actually not optimizing your life of like having um, of doing nothing, not out of fatigue, because the whole point of uh, that Hans talking about is a kind of doing nothing does come out of this. I fatigue, you know, like sleep problems, ADHD issues, or like, you know, stress, anxiety issues, depression, melancholy. Um, but but rather the kind of like, what about just sitting around, having a drink with friends and not trying to do anything, not always feeling that you have to seize a moment. Like that's what's beginning to disappear. Um, it's actually yeah. nice being back in, back in Belfast because one of the things in Belfast does not have achievement society as, as built into its yeah. DNA as obviously LA. But it's more so my next door neighbors are social influencers. They're two young guys in their 20s. Um, and, you know, they're selling your positivity, pure positivity. And, yeah. Yeah. I wonder if this is like a, uh, how much it's tied to just straight up age. I want, I see sometimes people who are older than me who are like doing the same thing, just like this constant hustle. And I'm like, how are you not exhausted? Like, how are you not? And how do you, how do you uh, do that while maintaining any sense of interiority at all? Because you're just uh, and, and they love it, like they and they live their lives doing it. And it's in bed you can make content, which is just crazy. You can wake up and immediately start putting whatever's going on on the internet. I often wonder why it, the the shift I had because I used to do it constantly. I would be making content and putting anything out there, and then I go. Well, I'm kind of bummed. Maybe I need to start making more content because it's fun and there's a performative aspect to it and there's an entertainment aspect to it that I really enjoy. But there's this hiccup that happens where I'm like, I don't want it to be like me. Like, I don't like it being like, I'll get super into writing something or doing school stuff or, or uh, reading uh, and trying to like, you know, become better or whatever. And then uh, there's just a, a, a brick wall between doing that and then being like, I'm going to put everything out there again. And uh, I don't I don't know how people I have friends who do it. And God bless them. I, I don't know what they're um, how much caffeine they have. To yeah, get that, that going as potentially that, you know, Why? their ADHD kind of things, because those are these are the various symptoms that you see today that are very popular. ADHD is one of them, but and then fatigue at the other side. But they both seem to be connected to a very modern type of um, uh, life or not even like a psyche. They're like their neurological phenomenon mm -hmm. that, you know, so even I mean, if, if you kind of compare and contrast feudalism with kind of contemporary capitalism and feudalism, you were born, and it, you know, it was pretty shit, really, but you were born and you had a particular job you did, which is what your dad did, and you yep. you married pretty much the, the person who, you know, there wasn't much choice. There wasn't any life choices. You didn't kind of leave and move somewhere else. You didn't have aspirations yeah. to become rich. You know, you were very caught within a type of caste system.
So that created lots of interesting uh, physical and psychological, pathological kind of issues. Yeah. But, you, you, but what Han is talking about is in contemporary society, from when we're born, we're kind of told, especially in, in contemporary first world, uh, you know, you can marry anybody, you can you can do anything, you can. So, uh, and the funny thing is about, you know, when I was in LA, the world where there is no prohibition, where you can have sex with who you want, you can do whatever you want. It's interesting that more and more people are not dating and not going out. And so the symptom is, is there's people that are kind of like self-imposing all these restrictions. because It creates a phenomenal amount of anxiety, this freedom, this kind of says, you know, you can achieve, you can do, it's all on you, you can go out with whoever you want, have sex with whoever you want, date whoever you want, you can you can move to whatever country you want. If you don't like your job, even, even a few generations ago, people were in the same job for life. But today it's yeah. like, you don't like your job, you can move to another, there's whole websites designed to help you move. And on, on the surface, it would feel like this would be wonderful freedom. But kind of you're reminded of Jean-Paul Sartre. He says we're condemned to freedom. That actually this amount of what what you, Han calls pure positivity, uh, pure kind of excess, pure uh, po possibility, generates all sorts of psychotic anxieties, neurotic anxieties, all sorts of um, uh, as I say, fatigue and burnout. And, and and stomach issues, loads of stomach issues, loads of issues, intestinal issues. And, um, you know, all these very modern symptoms are potentially tied to this, this profound sense of possibility. Yeah, yeah, it's overwhelming mm. uh, to have all of those. And it's, uh, I think, uh, constantly looking forward and looking up and looking uh, toward the future of being good. Well, and obviously I'm reading right now article on futurism or futurology and like the it was written in like the mid 90s by hillman and it's all about the um i haven't finished it yet but essentially the the one of the lines that i liked that wasn't particularly deep was like it's not the clicking of the top of the clock it's the context in which you hear it and when you hear the ticking of the clock and you're obs you're obsessed with the passage of time and how quickly things are moving and you got to get everything done right now and life is short uh, which is just a trope and it's like life is you have to get it this this is and it's like you don't it's like a, a self-imposed manic look on the world that makes the world then more manic as a result of uh living that way yes absolutely wow. yeah and and one one of the symptoms that that um now I, I haven't seen han talk about this yet explicitly but one of the symptoms that could come from that exact watching the clock feeling this intensity feeling you have to seize the day is when that anxiety gets too much, one, you either see, as I say, these symptoms, these disorders, uh, or you see self-imposed disorders, people doing, you know, spiritual, uh, what I call spiritual eating disorders or whatever, putting their own kind of like their own prohibitions on themselves or seeking some sort of uh, return to a kind of almost a caste feudalistic society. Did we talk last week, did I use the example of in LA, people who I know who increasingly, because it's difficult to date, want to return to conservative churches like something like Hillsong, because actually it's easier to date whenever you're in a conservative, you know, frame. Yeah. I don't know if I, we talked about that last week, so I don't want to talk about it again if we did. I, I, 
I will say I like that you're saying both last week and I'm saying next week as though we're on a weekly schedule. And that's fun. <laughs> exactly. I think we should keep that up. It's a like subtle lie that we're just uh just you know, pepper it in there. Exactly. Uh, yes, I, I think yeah. maybe, maybe we've it was talked the week about before it. last. I can't remember. It was one of the last three episodes we did in the last three yeah. weeks. In the last three weeks, yeah. Um, the uh, It reminds me, though, of the... Uh, well, yeah, young people are also getting more into um, Roman Catholicism. I mean, you see, like, the yep. what Dasha yep. uh, and all the, the Red Scare yes. uh, girl. And um, I haven't heard of young people going back to conservative, like, fundamentalist uh, churches. But certainly the liturgy and the ritual and, like, the going through it. And yeah. apparently part of it that I read was they don't even... Part of the reason it's Roman Catholic is they like not knowing what the words are. They just want the, like, to sit in the presence of it and go through the motions that are the same everywhere you go in the world. I guess at this yes. in that particular, which I know very little about it. But um, that yeah, no, that's called. that's very interesting. Yeah, that's the kind of trad move, and you're right. And and the, you bring bring up something very interesting there, which is within Catholicism, especially if it's Latin mass people want to not understand because another thing that han talks about is that now this is it's funny reading him because when i did my phd in the early 2000s or whatever um deconstruction and post post-structuralism was all that was all the rage and we talked a lot about the, the philosophical terms sameness and otherness and han's using those terms but it's like uh han talks about sameness as in everything that we're consuming Everything kind of has to be uh, something you can own or understand or know. You've got Google now, Google searches that we do. And, and actually what happens again is one of the things that we miss is otherness. And otherness is kind of precisely the experience of something that we cannot colonize, we cannot purchase, we cannot understand with our minds. So a Latin mass is interesting because it's kind of an experience of otherness because you're you're yeah. hearing something that you literally cannot uh, colonize or conceptualize or in philosophy render into the same render into your mind interesting yeah that makes sense it's a uh, i mean is that just want people wanting exotic something exotic to like because they're so numb that they're like, here's at least this is different. It's not the same thing, and it almost. I also wonder if there's like a little bit of a rebellious, like um, the rebellion now is going to be like a more conservative. Uh, which I mean, that's what the a lot of the conservative talking heads say. They're like, being Republican is the new punk. Being conservative yeah. is the new punk because in a world that's uh, their argument, I guess, is in a world that's just free for all and anything goes. The coolest thing you can do is be like, yeah, restricted and calm and stoic and all that well for me yeah i mean you're still operating in relation to the outside world you're still just acting differently in the same differently in the same context i guess yeah no i like you know i've said before here on on i think on our podcast and to you that like i i do think that conservatism is a symptomatic response to progressivism progressivism always generates the conservative return now i don't think that's the right move i think it's the kind of the wrong move but it's i think it's the predominant move so you'll and, and as we're talking about here it's partly because of the amount of anxiety and stress and melancholy yeah. that you know progressivism causes that generates a return the, the difference with the with the trad thing maybe whenever you mentioned the exotic the one difference 
might be that we are obsessed with the exotic, definitely, but usually as in we want to find something new to to understand and use and kind of, you know, embrace. And so, and often like capitalism works on that, obviously, because you want to sell new products. So kind of opening up new realms of of experience or products. The difference with the with the trad move is it's not like just something exotic that you can colonize at its best. And again, I don't advocate for the trad move, but I, I like yourself, I know people who have done it. It's um it's it's not to get something that you can colonize and control and understand. It's potentially people go to an old church and sit in it because they're dying for precisely the opposite. They're dying for a space away from the frenetic pursuit of more and the same. And so, and one of the yeah. few places today is actually old churches. I, I was talking to someone the other day, talks about, it was Richard Boothby, he was saying that he likes to go into old churches when no one's, preferably when no one's there. And I think that's a common thing because you go into an old church when no one's there or when the Latin mass is being said to 10 people and you might be able to feel a kind of free uh, escape from achievement society. Nice. What's Boothby's deal? I know you did a talk with him, uh, and I, I didn't get a chance to see it, but what was his, um, what was the, yeah. the genesis of that? Yeah, well, oh, as it connects to this, actually, I can connect. So as it connects to this, Boothby um, is taking the very kind of French psychoanalytic idea that to be human is to orient ourselves to something unknown. Uh, it begins with the unknown. What is you know what does the mother want? What does what does the family member want? But it's also what does the person I love want? What does society want? What do my friends want? When you go to a party, how should I act? Like there's a there's there's a part of us that is oriented to and fascinated by the question, what does the other want? Uh, I, actually, on this as an aside, I watched a thing about the Mona Lisa recently. The algorithm spat out a video about the Mona Lisa, and they were like, why is it so uh, the most photographed uh, painting in the world and the most visited painting in the world? And, you know, art critics often say it's because Mona Lisa has a look on her face that is enigmatic. That it's very like Leonardo yeah. da Vinci is able to capture this thing where there's composure and yet it's just a slight smile and there's an enigmatic what is the what is Mona Lisa thinking, what's going on in her mind, and then of course most people that's not the reason but for most people the question is why do other people find Mona Lisa yeah, fascinating? Yeah, that's what I thought <laughs> so, you were gonna, yeah. yeah. So the question is still, it's the same, but it's, it's not like what, what is Mona Lisa thinking? But why the hell does everybody else find it so fascinating? So. With, with Boothby, he's kind of, he, obviously he very brilliantly looks at how we're oriented to this otherness. He looks mm -hmm. at how religion is very connected to that. His most recent book, which is a phenomenal book called Embracing the Void, looks at how religion orients us to the unknown. And the, connecting that with Han, um, I don't know how much he talks about religion, if, if at all, but um, Han is basically also saying we need to orient ourselves to otherness. We, there's, so whether psychoanalytically or 
existentialist about this, but going like, in a world where you can have, 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 you can know, 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 you can look up anything in a moment, technically, you can look up, like, you know, we talked about the, the Joe Rogan thing there, but someone can look up on Google and find information. We fool ourselves into thinking that everything is at our fingertips. And yeah, what we yeah, lose, yeah, totally, yeah. yeah, is what we lose is otherness, which you can never lose because otherness is inherently part of existence. Yep. Uh, yeah, that's um, very related to a lot of the stuff that I'm looking at right now with the, the technology stuff and the, the obsession with gathering more information or having the information constantly available and also having cell phones in your hands that basically act as like um, external cyborg chips that we can just like it's part our phones are part of us. And so we have this like superpower that uh any like mythical wizard would have been jealous yeah. about and yes. uh, as a result we walk around and we're just like yeah. Yeah, life sucks and, uh, the, and, the, and it is yeah yeah the Go thing ahead. about this is is um you know uh Hung, han talks about the swarm he has a brilliant term called the swarm and i'm only kind of starting to get to know it but he says that a swarm is not as different from a crowd. A crowd can get together, say, at a concert and all have a unified reason for being there or a protest. A crowd gathers for a reason. A swarm is this is this huge amount of things, but with nothing unifying it, no soul, basically. And so he says we live yeah. in the age of the swarm. And I, I was actually testing chat AI recently, you know, because everyone's talking about AI. So, yeah. Oh, and I was, yes, about to, I was talk just talking to my this. brother about this last night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it go? It's fascinating stuff. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what I did, and then yeah, I want to hear what you think about it. Because uh -huh. what I was wanting to test was how, I mean, AI is incredible. We were getting it to do, like, you know, me and my friends have been using it to kind of, like, make it generate songs and about all these weird things. But when I tested it with philosophy, it was really pretty bad. And I realized with why is that what what it would do is it would kind of like a swarm it would go in and it would just look at what what the recent i don't know how many last many years of articles that have been written about some philosopher like hegel and kind of put it into a two paragraph thing and what was missing was interpretation soul soul exactly a soul a kind of like and so it wasn't reading hegel and even if it did read hegel i wonder what it would say but it felt like Yes, it didn't, and it didn't have a hermeneutic soul. It didn't, yeah, it didn't, it just kind of, and so it was very poor. It was just very poor. And that's what Google does is you can get all this information, but you don't yep. have a philosophical lens through which to interpret and gather, gather that information into something meaningful. As uh, the comedian Dave Mitchell, I heard say uh, about a week ago, I've printed Google out and I'm making my way through it. <laughs> very funny. Yes, I'm brilliant. I've been watching uh, a lot of uh, Would I Lie to You? You know that show, oh, Would yes, I Lie to yes. You? Oh, yes, yes. Oh, yeah. I love that you've yeah. got into the British Brilliant. comedies. They're very, like those, yeah. those comedy game shows, they're very good. Yeah, I, we're just binging them in the uh, Taskmaster is the the main one but then ran out of taskmasters and would i lie to you and listening to david mitchell is always uh fun i love that man i love david oh. mitchell so much listen everything most philosophical he says, points even if it's I not have, that funny yeah most philosophical points i have i can find a mitchell and webb sketch to back it up yeah yeah <laughs> uh, yeah at one point he was arguing with someone on the show and grace turned and she was like this is like you and pete and i was like you're not wrong i was like but i think <laughs> 
both of them switch sometimes. Like it was uh, Dave Mitchell and some, I, I want to say it was the other guy on Would I Lie to You, or it was Greg Davies who was uh, on the show for a second, but he was also very funny. Anyway, uh, where, well, sorry for the tangent. Um, oh yeah, what did you think of AI then? Your, your, what's oh, your yes. experience of it? So I found it uh, kind of a similar thing. I saw a post about um, on the Jung subreddit that asked chat AI or whatever it's called, whatever version it was, about to interpret from a Jungian perspective someone's dream. And uh, it was good. It was like really I was like that is a like quote unquote Jungian interpretation of a dream and it makes sense and you can kind of they include like a lot of the um, caveats of uh, the dream interpretation where you go like oh it's you know really it mostly is about whether or not that is impactful to the listener uh, which is not entirely agreed upon but you know you could kind of see like okay this is someone who knows a lot about Jung answering this question about dream and then I went to try to sign into it. And it was too busy. It was overloaded. So I haven't gotten a chance to mess with it. Um, and, but I was talking to my brother about it as well uh, last night because he was doing the same thing. And he was doing questions for coding um, like because he does a bunch of internet stuff. And he was saying that when he was doing asking questions about how to code things, the AI would just immediately, like a problem that would take him hours to solve, it solved it. Like that. Uh, like that, yeah. Which is, it makes total sense because it's a code it's internet it's uh it's in its wheelhouse whereas yeah you don't have that um contradiction or split or whatever of the human brain that's operating in there so it's very linear um and then yeah i saw i was relating it to a, another thing i saw about apes about how no ape has ever wanted to learn more language like they'll learn sign language and they'll communicate uh the sign language and remember it but they will never ask another ape or another human for more uh information like there's a lack of curiosity um in the <laughs> ape and then i was thinking about the ape relating that to the ai thing and i was like it's interesting it's like we are still stuck in the the middle like there's ai who like is smarter and then there's the the ape who's like not as smart and then we're, but we're still the only ones who are actually have some curiosity with uh, what the world is and want yeah. to like not just have information and spout it back out we're somewhere in the middle funny. that's funny because that's kind of almost like the kantian view of subjectivity is that human beings are between uh the apes and the angels so uh we are uh, yeah. we're, we're kind of both simultaneously but yeah so maybe we should say it between the apes and ai and uh, that's kind of what makes human beings weirdly interesting <laughs> Yeah, well, I think that was a Hillman line. We are uh, like smart apes or something. It was not smart apes. It was something like that. But um, yeah, it, the the thing that I get um, that that I get super interested in is the you know what it's going to look like twenty years from now and what yeah. those same things because it's happening so fast right now. It seems like it's just exploding, and when we have a thing that can can basically eliminate the only thing we do which is google things um that's just gonna be wild like it's gonna be it's gonna be better than google and it's gonna be uh ubiquitous and then what's gonna happen and i don't yeah. like playing the apocalypse uh card but it gets a little <coughs> mind bendy yeah well for me the, the 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 when ai becomes sentient is the moment when because people say oh you know what like uh 
what does AI want? Like, if we let it go, what what would it would it destroy us? Would it want to live with us? Yeah. What, like, what would it be? So you know, AI sentient whenever it doesn't know what it wants. So uh, that's yeah. the yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the trick. Whenever you ask AI, what do you want, and it and it goes. I actually don't know either. Then we've got somewhere interesting. Until then, at the moment, yeah. we're just in fucking algorithms. And interesting algorithms, I'll give yeah. you that. But um, but I think Young Chul Han is, is right that we're in the age of the swarm. And the funny thing, he, he has a great term for it. He calls it Google something. But basically, um, the, the purely um, farming of information um, is actually... Um, uh, has lots of benefits for like, as you said, your brother, when he wants to do coding or something like that. But whenever you want to get into kind of like uh, proper kind of metaphysics at the moment, um, uh, computers are not very good at that. They can't do that. <laughs> yeah. It was, so, I was reading something about like the, the metaphor that we use or have been using in the, from the 20th century on maybe earlier is basically the machine metaphor for the, the psyche. So the, we, we are uh, making computers, using to become as smart or smarter than humans or quote-unquote sentient but we're doing it with the assumption that the human is also like a machine yeah and so it's like what was this going to look like if we stop looking or what would it look like if we were (coughs) hypothetically stop viewing the psyche as just a a plus b equals c thing and something that's more complex how would that how would that eventually affect uh technology yeah there was a there was a fun fun to think about oh go ahead oh I understand it's fun to think about. Yeah, no, I was going to mention, I'm just looking him up here. Is, um, there's, he died recently. What was his name? He's a Heideggerian philosopher who um, wrote really well in the 80s and 90s, probably back in the 70s as well, where he was one of the main critics of a lot of the work coming out of MIT on how machines would, on, on AI, basically. So he's a big critic on AI. Um, I'm going to... Let's see, being in the world is a documentary. Bring it up. Pull it up, Jamie. Yeah, being in the world, doc. I can't believe that because it's been 10 years since I've read him, but I did read him a fair amount. Um, Herbert Dreyfus. Herbert Dreyfus, that's right. So Herbert Herbert Dreyfus did this very interesting work showing that our, our traditional way of trying to make computers basically aware by giving them more and more information was always going to be flawed and he used heidegger to kind of argue that if if computers are ever going to become aware it has to look a lot more like how a baby becomes aware and that is not about simply the learning of facts so he did really interesting work on that um which i think has been then taken on board uh by by a lot a lot of people since but i think i've quoted before but i love gabriel marcel when he said that you know people ask will computers ever become like us and he says well yes they probably will but only because we are becoming more like machines and exactly your yeah point yeah, is, yeah and you know as an existentialist he was very concerned with how we start to treat ourselves as machines as product as productive machines in a system in which we perform a task as a as a waiter as an influencer as a you know a working in job like we start to kind of reduce ourselves to merely productive rules and the weird thing is it's not so much that machines will become more like us but we become more like them and seeing all of this google research that we're doing where we become like a swarm that's a great example of it 
a great example of like the um, the absolute destruction of education, really. The swarm with Google, like, what do you mean? Like, you mean how we're all Googling everything all the time, but there's no, it's just aimless? Or what, how does that relate to the swarm? Yeah, so the swarm would be kind of like what AI is currently doing, which the swarm has it has a lot of information. It has it has all of this information at its, at its fingertips. But, and this is the interesting thing, is just being able to get information and make everything into facts is itself a very, uh, is itself a metaphysics. That is a way of looking at the world. Yeah, yeah. And what Han kind of argues is that way of looking at the world is kind of a, is, is a way that fragments us in our crowd. We're all together, but I suppose maybe he would say to simplify, like we can all find our own little worlds. We can all, we can all use that information in different ways and fragment and fragment. So we're still part of society, but we're a swarm, not a crowd or not not a family we're just yeah it's yeah. like and yeah so soulless but yeah but soulless and because yeah he would use it because soul for him in this context might be the way like a group gathers together around a cause there becomes a type of unifying dimension that you can't touch or taste or see hence soul it's kind of like it's it's not visible yeah. but it's palpable yeah yeah, uh, I like uh, Hillman says, soul is that which turns events into experiences. Oh, that's very good. That's very interesting. Cause, yeah, because yeah, like a perspective, my, yeah. not a substance. Yeah, because like, yeah, my like basic definition of soul is, yes, that it is it is the ability to to organize experiences. So I think that fits very neatly. So yeah. like, and so all yeah. soul means nothing spiritual or anything. It's just basically an organizing set centering kind of like a uh, phenomenon, a gestalt in a way. Yeah. 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 That's nice. Um, yeah. yeah, man, wild, wild stuff. And I, I do the, the, um, I was looking, look, reading about the evolution of technology and the different theories of, um, how technology has evolved and the obsession, which I think relates tangentially to the, what you're talking about with this, um, the hustle culture and everything, <coughs> the whole point of uh, technology, excuse you, uh, has always been to basically take the place of time uh, in the like nature's uh, rhythm. So like from fire to where we are now, the whole thing is speeding up the process and like making, doing in, uh, you know, 10 minutes, what it would take nature hundreds or thousands of years to do. And then it's like, we're still, do we're so obsessed with just doing things so quickly that I can't yeah. imagine everyone wouldn't be a little exhausted uh, all the time. That's brilliant. No, that's very good. That's very good. And that, that's similar. And one of the prefaces uh, of one of Kierkegaard's books, he says about how, he says, we live in a world where everything is being made easier. Technology is designed to kind of make things faster and easier and he yeah. talks about the railroad and all of that and he said and for a while i didn't know what what i could contribute to the world and then he said i realized what it is he says in a world where everything is becoming easier i realized that i was there to make it more difficult and i thought it was great <laughs> i was like beautiful <laughs> you know um and this is also why people like lacan are so purposefully difficult to read like there, there is a there's there's a number of reasons why they have people like like the continental philosophers are difficult for a variety of reasons. But one of the reasons is they say that 
you almost have to work so hard <laughs> that to get the insight that 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 cannot be given to you quickly like you cannot just in three points all beginning with p describe what the subject is that in a way you have to actually go into the labyrinth the labyrinth of language the labyrinth of impossibilities and 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 through this and i find this for myself but through this intense work you get incredible insight that genuinely cannot be boiled down to a Google search. Yeah, uh, I totally agree. There's uh, sometimes I'll be all on one uh, in my studies or whatever, and I'll try at, for fun to like explain it in my head and like, uh, uh, like, or, or speak yep. it um, quietly. And I can't, do it because it is uh and it sounds elitist which is like a isn't the intention but it 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 is like a quality more than something that can be completely uh linearly expressed i guess and uh the word that comes to mind is the five dollar word is um apophatic which is just fun to say oh yes the apophatic absolutely yes one of the richest traditions of theology yeah yeah Uh, you know 100 percent apophatic it's just a fun idea to apophatic just be like mm, i just can't tell you mm, yes it's very coy it's a cute way to be yes. oh it's apophatic it's um beyond language no wonder uh people who do things like continental philosophy or academics are so insufferable because they spend yes. all this time diving into stuff and they become experts on it and because they can't explain it it makes it the other person feel like they're jerks and so then you those people feel inferior that turns them off they get on their phone and it's a vicious cycle so what good is any of this pete what are we doing <laughs> no i uh, yeah i 100 percent no i mean the um <laughs> The, the beautiful thing about continental philosophy and apoph- the apophatic tradition is they, they're obsessed with otherness, with, with, what cannot be, with, with what cannot be touched, cannot be explained, cannot be said. And yet it has an incredibly sophisticated way of entering yeah. into that. And, you know, and it's not just philosophy, you know, it's all disciplines, but the unconscious, of course, in psychoanalysis is the name for a dimension of ourselves that's within us that we kind of, that we cannot access, that we can only indirectly, only like the way mm-hmm. or the light bends around it. Um, and this is the, the opposite of, of achievement society. I, I was actually had a meeting with a friend uh, yesterday. He's helping me look at how I could maybe get my work out there to more people or whatever he's very good at knowing nice. um you know how, how that how that works but the trouble that we have is that everything in terms of people who are popular it's all about you know how to be more efficient how to 10x your life how to life hack it how to like it's all about in 10 minutes i'm going to give you some make they make a stupid promise about how they can either get you more income or get you more you know yeah. date better or whatever it is right but whenever your kind of inverted commas product is to frustrate the simplicity, to make things more difficult, to kind of enter into a very long, profound and difficult journey, how do you make that sexy? It's much more, it's difficult, you know? Um, and I've been asked yeah. to make introductions to my work and I, I've tried, but I keep stopping because I go like, it's it's by definition feels wrong. Like I, 
it wouldn't it wouldn't work because by definition it's kind of like something you have to enter into and wrestle with you're immediately doing it a disservice by uh yeah and you immediately will be wrong and you will know you will be wrong in whatever you say <laughs> so it's an yes endless, yes yeah it's basically you know, you've uh, made self-torture it a, yeah, it's like three points. It like as if as if the world was simply all we need is good advice. Freud once said, I forget what the essay was. Very good essay. Um, but he once said that, like the reason why, unlike counseling, psychoanalysis doesn't give advice or whatever is because well, partly people know what they should do. Like mostly, like I play poker, and when I have a hand, I broadly speaking know what I should do. Do I do it? Hell no, yeah, right? right. Yeah. I the, the, point, the point is something deeper. There's death drive and all of that. But so the point is, is like when someone's healthy, they may be able to take advice. But it's like the point is um, just getting things sorted in your head, going, oh, I should do A, B, and C, yeah. has virtually no impact, has virtually no effect. You have to come to self-understanding. You have to come to tarry with the dimension of yourself that that is difficult and only through that tarrying uh, can you potentially become healthier and that takes time no five minute video is going to do that for you um yeah to save your soul you have to read a lot yes <laughs> yes and i'm going to be reading a lot less because uh, half my books now are gone no not half maybe i don't know uh, <laughs> uh also, I was going to say, you, you've used the term life hack a couple times, which is just another fun example of the prevalence of the uh, machine metaphor that we have. Oh, yeah. Life hack. You're going to hack yeah. your life. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to make it more convenient, quicker, more efficient, and that's going to make you by this one always simple trick. I think you posted something like in three very difficult tricks I can help your life or something like that. I think oh, yeah. it was, maybe it was years ago. You made some joke <laughs> about all the, the – in this one – easy trick no wait what am i thinking i'm thinking of mitch hedberg oh man uh i'm so sorry. oh yeah well you know that's easy to get us confused yeah yeah exactly i was like that's speaking of an offensive thing uh but yeah it's i want uh just once i want three easy payments and one hard as shit payment or something <laughs> very good. well that's it that's so exactly four easy it. payments yeah yeah i mean you know my favorite well, joke ever is his i just have to say People have maybe heard me say it before, but he just, in his stoned out way, was talking about Bigfoot and like why all the pictures oh. are fuzzy. And then he goes, and then I just thought, maybe Bigfoot's fuzzy. And I thought, that is brilliant. Yeah. And of course, I think that's but the Bigfoot is fuzzy. So good. And it's like, it's that is the, that's the kind of like brilliant definition of modern physics is the universe seems fuzzy at a quantum level. And, it, and we always think it's the instrument. But maybe reality's just fuzzy. And as I admit, no, it I think is. Hedberg yeah. just gets that right. <laughs> uh, one of my favorites of his, since we're going, I'll, I'll, I'll match it. It's a, not as funny, but I just think about it all the time. And he, he talks about being in a hotel room. And he's like, sometimes if I'm in a hotel and I'm in bed and I think of a joke, uh, I got to uh, find a pen and write it down. But if the pen's too far away, I have to convince myself that what I thought of ain't funny. <laughs> that's very good. I think it. I think about all. Or I'm like, that's funny, and then I'm like, I should write that down. I'll remember. No, I won't. I'll just convince. I probably wasn't funny anyway. Okay, great. Oh, that's very brilliant. Funny. You should make a video. That would be very funny. The video of like you know helping people. That you know, listen. If you can't achieve something, well, then just spend ten minutes convincing yourself that it wasn't worth it in the first place. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. 
you're sorted. <laughs> uh, beautiful. All right. Well, any uh, any plugs you want to do before we uh, wrap this up, or any other points, any other takeaways, any other well, whatever? I like the mix of AI talk and. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, we could do our usual takeaways, we... but before takeaway, do you have any plugs? Because you mentioned plugs, so I don't know if you got something coming up that you're doing. No. No, I, I will say I'm working on creating a Twitch uh, platform, and so I have a. This is a newish computer, and I'm trying to figure out how to to stream and do that. Are um, you trying to make money stream, from so. playing Zelda? Are you trying to like That's combine exactly <laughs> your? No, I. I'm literally, dude. I'm literally going to play Zelda, and I'm going to talk about the unconscious the entire time you know what i actually think if that was the idea that would work really well that's that's i am not lying at all there's no sarcasm <laughs> there because <laughs> zelda has all this mythical stuff and i'm like this will be very fun uh that's but hilarious. i have to figure Playing out zelda and talking about the unconscious and dreams and just the apocalypse. most yeah <laughs> Now, uh, technology is going to destroy us, and we're always just seeking distractions, and then I'll just like kill something. And yeah, it'll be it, 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 the joke is baked into the idea. Very uh, good. So don't expect good. anything funny during the stream, yes. but yeah, um, that'll be something I'm working on. Uh, but yeah, and, but takeaway, I would just say, oh, yeah, uh, takeaway, uh, yeah. So, in a nutshell, um, I, I, my takeaway is that, um, and the interesting thing about this for me is I've been wondering for a while why are we seeing these modern symptoms fatigue burnout adhd autistic symptoms uh dissociation this oh yeah that could actually be thrown in there as well melancholy like things that are like particularly seem to be connected to kind of the, the modern world the last you know however many years a few decades and there's a potential and even intestinal thing that's a biggie um the this notion that living in a place of pure positivity, pure possibility, um, kind of even if it's only a fantasy, but it's a fantasy that is lodged within our heads um, that we kind of are caught up in, um, is this creating its own type of destructive phenomenon? And then, of course, the yeah, question yeah. is, and how how can we potentially? not life hack, not self-optimize, not want to be entrepreneurs of the self. How can we um, create those spaces like going into that old church when no one's there, right? That space where we can yeah. experience some sort of radical otherness. So my takeaway is like, we, it's not really a takeaway so much as maybe a question for a future fundamentalist, but is how do we make space for otherness and unknown and mystery in in the 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 overwhelmingly suffocating ocean of achievement society. Very nice. I like that a lot. The only thing I would add is I like the metaphor of the vertical axis and the horizontal axis, and making sure that the vertical axis is not sacrificed at the expense of the horizontal axis of constantly wanting to go forward or gather more information or. Uh, uh, speed up time constantly. And I think that involves, like we were talking about deep reflection and taking time to uh, to think about the otherness and the mysteries that pervade all of life, including our own um, psyches, not just in the outer world, but that which is going on within us, which is a constant source of uh, renewable wonder in an already, unfortunately, disenchanted world. Thank you, everyone. For, uh, that, you know, that's great. Can I ask you, what, or make sure, because I think that's a beautiful metaphor. So the, the horizontal well, is kind of like this moving forward, achieve, achieve. The vertical is that's the transcendental in a way, as you're saying, like 
in the midst of all of this thing, there's some sort of kind of connection with the unknown that we need. Is that, that's, yeah. 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 That's yeah. nice. Uh, all right, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hope you enjoyed this. Um, and we will see you next time.